to have a deep understanding of the actual problem is extremely important and not necessarily falling in love with the solution, but really falling in love with that problem. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Matthijs, a warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks. Very nice to be here. You are the co-founder and the chairman at TaxFix, probably the easiest way to file your taxes. And before we're going to talk about your story there, we want to focus on your personal background. You actually have quite an unusual educational background because you studied in Hong Kong and Korea. So what motivated you to study so far away from Switzerland? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. I actually, I did my high school here, here in Zurich. And uh, after high school, I was very, very sure I'm never going to study. Uh, and I was totally sick of school and I felt like, uh, well, whatever I do, but probably not university. And I actually then I was working for three years uh, in all kinds of things, mostly like design, architecture, film, and you know, in New York, London, um, and then actually also then in Hong Kong and, and other places, but uh, really started my career there. And only then I decided to study. And basically, uh, uh, well, I thought, well, you know, I would have options to go to the UK or the US, but probably the most exciting place I could go would be Hong Kong. And I committed to be there for three years. Um, out of nothing and uh, said, well, you know, whatever, if I go to study, I go to a place where it's going to be really exciting. What changed in these three years that you then decided, okay, now it's still a good idea to go and study? Oh, a lot of things changed. Um, on one hand, what I really learned, like, you know, doing all these movie projects and uh, design projects that a lot of the creative process that I was actually interested in was not so much happening uh, in the execution of it, but way before that, when the conceptual phase, when you were thinking about, okay, what does the business need? And I realized, like, actually, a lot of the exciting things is decided by the business people, you know, and by like all the, <laughs> by those. And actually, I never wanted to study business, but then said, like, well, this is maybe a lot more interesting than I thought. And um, I realized, like, well, to get there, I probably actually have to study. And three years in Hong Kong, that I'm sure also shaped you as a person. So what happened there with you as a person, as an individual? Well, it was very eye-opening to be at a place where, well, the culture is so different, right? Like people are so different, very different values. And um, for me, I, it was very eye-opening to understand that maybe not everything works the way that we work and we we think uh, about and our values uh, in the Western world are one perspective, but there's also other perspectives out there. And that really opened this whole world for me that I could question things and I could challenge stuff and uh, realize that there is so much more to this. And in that time, I mean, yeah, I learned a lot. Like the Chinese, they're really hardworking. I learned how to really, you know, study for 20 hours, uh, three days in a row. Um, and yeah, just like really get it, getting getting work done. Um, and I, I met amazing people there uh, in that time. And at the same time, you also discovered your entrepreneurial spirit. You, you basically built your first venture there. Can you talk a bit more about what you did there as a first business? Exactly. Yeah, it was super exciting. Actually, in the last year of our studies, um, we were planning a tour with some friends of mine and we were wanted to go to some really special place. And uh, we came up with the idea to um, organize a special tour with an NGO to North Korea. So um, it was always the one country I couldn't necessarily go in Asia. And I felt like, wow, if we could only go there. So we organized this with this NGO. We had 10 seats available and we got 200 applications uh, for wow. that first uh, tour. And we realized like, wow, there's so many people that are interested in this. And then after going there and seeing like with my own eyes, like how special this place is and how incredibly different, uh, I was just so fascinated. We said like, well, you know, let's organize a few more tours like that. And why not? Let's actually register a company, build a website and see what we can do with that. It was really exciting. We did this for 18 months, spent a lot of time in North Korea. I was also spending time in the, in, in the South, in South Korea, learning Korean and trying to be like, uh, you know, communicate more with the North Koreans. Um, yeah, exciting times. But at the end, we basically realized that it's very difficult to deal with the North Korean government. A lot of the very cool cultural exchange um, activities that 
we wanted to do, we couldn't do anymore because mm -hmm. the political climate changed. And then at some point we said, well, maybe it's time for something new. And at a certain point in time, you also had to make a decision to come back to Switzerland. Was that an easy decision for you? That was actually not bef not not then yet. Um, so we were we were um, I was still in South Korea, mm -hmm. and uh, I realized yes, the next venture I definitely want to do with um, people I know very well, um, and uh, the, some of my best friends uh, were actually in Switzerland. So we're discussing should we go to Switzerland, but somehow I actually convinced them to come to South Korea. <laughs> so <laughs> we were living actually one and a half years in South Korea and starting there our next venture. And which one was that? Was that already small PDF? That was already small PDF. Yes, exactly. So actually, the idea was to always start something else. So we, we had some small PDF as a side project and like it, it actually developed quite well. But we thought like at some day, uh, we'll, all, we'll, we'll basically change and, and do something else. But it just kept growing and growing. And uh, from a very small kind of idea that we wanted to solve ourselves because we really had trouble with PDFs. You know, we were all living abroad and our parents were actually always trying to send us uh, our mail scanned into email, right? So they were scanning our actual mail and then trying to push it through email, but they were always 50 megabytes big. Yep. So you couldn't fit it back then, right? <laughs> like it wouldn't go through it. So we said we need to make this PDF smaller. And, uh, and that's how we actually came up with the idea of building a simple compressor putting it online and making it extremely easy to use. So even our parents could use it, you know? That's, and that's, that's basically fantastic. the story behind it, uh, how, how it all started. And then, yeah, and, and it grew and grew. We actually had the idea that, well, the revenue maybe would be enough one day to pay for our the beers that we want to drink in mm -hmm. the evening. Um, but uh, yeah, it turned out to be a lot more than that uh, <laughs> over time. And we couldn't drink that much beer. And uh, then we actually decided at some point to pay a salary from it. Uh, which was, of course, a lot better. <laughs> What's really fascinating here is you did that with your first venture, but also with your second venture, you basically solved your own problems. Do you think that this is the right place to start when it comes to starting a startup? Well, absolutely. I think to just relate to the problem, it's just so much easier. I wouldn't say you necessarily need to do it this way, but to have a deep understanding of the actual problem is extremely important and not necessarily falling in love with the solution, but really falling in love with that problem. Makes sense. And how did you choose your co-founders? You mentioned they were in Switzerland, your two co-founders. Right. You then brought them to South Korea. How did you negotiate and manage to get that done? <laughs> well, we actually knew each other since we were 10 years old. Um, they grew up together actually in the same house and I went to school with one of them. So we basically, uh, like we always were hanging out as friends, we're organizing parties as teenagers and do all kinds of silly stuff. But um, we always realized that all of us have some entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, one actually came from from a technical background and one from a design background um, and and then me from a business background. So we thought also it's going to be a great match, you know, like very different backgrounds, but very similar values and uh, really good friends. And that turned out to be a great decision. I mean, history tells it's a small PDF grew to a massive success. And I also wonder there, you built all of that without any external funding. You completely bootstrapped the company. Why was that the right choice for you? Well, we were very lucky that um, the, the business basically took off quite early in the sense that it just generated revenue. Um, we were mostly focusing on advertising revenue and um, donations and already after I think 12 months we had like 500,000 users or so wow. and that already generated quite a lot of um, revenue not a lot a lot but basically just enough that we could pay ourselves a salary and we were actually never really thinking back then about like taking investor money because it's just like well we're just building product you know we just wanted right. to build and do and stuff and because we had enough money then at some point to also hire our own employees uh, it never really came up. Um, and I think it was absolutely the right decision. It's not necessarily for every business, right? And then we did it differently um, the next time. But for small PDF, it was absolutely right not to take funding too early. And you mentioned your revenue stay basic. It just came in uh, first the advertising business model and also uh, donations. Then later you also launched your subscription model. How do you actually acquire the users in, in the early phase? Did people just search for your service and then found you through Google? Or what was the number one acquisition channel for you? Yeah, yeah I mean, we realized that a lot of people are looking for solutions there and uh, looking at Google. 
And what we, I mean, I didn't know much about SEO, but like I just taught myself everything, watched a lot of videos and read a lot, a lot, a lot of articles and books, uh, just teach myself like how to deal with SEO. And that's, that was basically the key in the beginning that we could really, yeah, like cater to these searches, optimize our pages, um, build links and so on to just get our pages to the absolute top results. And that brought us a lot of traffic. Understood. And then despite all the success, if we fast forward a bit, you then at the certain point decided to leave your operational role at small PDF. Right. You basically, you leave at the best time. You know, <laughs> the company was growing crazy. It was fully bootstrapped. So you actually had significant revenue coming in, super successful business, growing team, growing user base. Why did you decide to leave? <laughs> yeah, good question. It was actually a little bit after that. So we basically, um, we, we had moved from South Korea back to Europe. So mm -hmm. we had an office in Berlin and one in Zurich. And uh, we're really mostly operating from there. And um, yeah, I think it was two things. It was really like, you know, coming back from um, to Berlin, we always had this idea of maybe starting something else, right? Like that's basically what, 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 what kind of was still in the back of our mind. And uh, Lino and I particularly had a lot of conversations. So Manu, our third co-founder, was in Switzerland and we were both in, in, in Berlin. And we actually realized like, what if we actually do something new in Berlin and basically focus the business in Switzerland um, at that time. And then, yeah, I think it was just that urge of, you know, solving bigger problems. There were just so many problems there, like so many and like no one to solve them, you know. And uh, yeah, we, we felt like there is something bigger that we can we can solve for. And uh, small PDF was just at that inflection point of, you know, really taking off uh, from a revenue side. Back then we're still maybe eight, 10 people or something. So still quite small team. Mm -hmm. um, now today it's one of the 150 most visited websites and we have over 40 million users and so on, right? It's a whole different level. But basically back then it was just at that inflection point, but we really saw it already taking off. But we, still, we also knew it's profitable and the deck actually can finance, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was in Berlin and I really felt like, mm, you know, something is missing. I really would like to do something more. And, uh, and actually, at, told my co-founders like, look, I need to take a break. I just need to take a few weeks off because um, I need to be sure that like it's right for me. You know, it's really yeah. the right thing to 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 keep going here to also move back to Europe after seven years of Asia uh, was like kind of a big decision for me. And um, actually, I took the Trans-Siberian Railway uh, from Helsinki all the way to Beijing, uh, which was a really fantastic adventure. But also it gave me a lot of time without phone, without anything, like to just sit in the train and just count bird trees to go through Siberia. You know, it's a very long train ride and you just have 50, 60 hours just in the train and not going anywhere. It was beautiful to reflect. And actually, I think what for me was became very important. I want to work with the people that I really, you know, feel like great. They're great business partners. So it was for me clear. We I want to keep working with those uh, with Manu and Lino, but also that like we want. I feel like there is more problems to be solved and uh, and bigger ones. And that's basically what we discussed and all together when I came back. And we then started looking at different areas, um, particular problems that were bothering us, but also yeah, interesting industries that seemed like right for this for disruption. Did you never have the fear that if you leave small PDF at did that inflection point that you just described, that it wouldn't go anywhere and would just eventually also, you know, break down? Yeah. Well, the good thing was that it was still able to be pretty close to the business, right? Mm -hmm. Still in the beginning, it was very much there. I mean, I took a chairman role, but was then very close still with everyone. We had some good people that we had hired. And we felt like actually, at least in these early phases, um, you know, they handled this really quite well. And the good advantage is to work with people that you really, really trust. And, you know, for so long, you know that if there is a problem, like they will talk to you, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I always felt like I'm close enough to see if I need to help um, and they would ask my help when needed. But other than that, I think they did an incredible job. Um, also with me taking a step back out of the CEO role and less operational. And how was that for you on an emotional level? I can imagine, you know, leaving your own baby, so to speak, that you built over the past years can also be quite challenging on a personal, emotional level. How was that for you? Right. 
Yeah, I think to some degree, you know, it's kind of bittersweet. I think it's a little bit like a parent that, you know, sees their baby grow up also to a teenager and then maybe leaves the house for college. You know, I think it's it's also pride that you think you have something that can now be bigger than us or bigger than me, right? Like it is, yeah, growing up, being its own organism and its own organization and it can live by itself, which I think should be the goal for maybe entrepreneur to basically, or or parent in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. To basically have uh, your baby grow up uh, in the end. So yes, bittersweet, but also with a lot of pride. Probably also because you already had the next thing in mind, the bigger problem to solve. I, I can imagine that this also right. makes things easier. Right. That was also exciting for sure. Exactly. So a lot of like new problems to solve. I think we always strive, you know, from like just learning more and growing faster, like personally. Mm -hmm. And um, it did feel that with small PDF, um, we can do that and we can do it by ourselves. But being in Berlin, like also doing, uh, you know, starting a bigger company, also maybe thinking about uh, venture funding, we just realized there's so many opportunities to grow on a whole different level um and uh, and 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 start some really exciting things and then at a certain point you also looked for a new ceo to actually come and run uh, the small pdf business right. how was that process like you know how do you look for an external ceo to come over and lead a company that right. you actually built right I wish I could tell you about like a perfect process. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just got extremely lucky. I think we really talked to, I think, really 10 people or something. Um, and quite casually, actually, um, more like, hey, what do you think? Just also more calibrating the the profile. You know, we're just, we wanted to talk to a few people. And then we talked to Dennis. And that was just like, wow, okay. Like that it seems like a perfect cultural fit. You know, a really, really smart guy and uh, probably perfect for our stage. So we, we had this whole process in mind that we wanted to build around it, but we actually never came to it because we just talked to Dennis and it just felt so right that we said we have to go for it. So it's really the, the emphasis that you do on the cultural fit in the person, not only the skills, but really the cultural fit that is so important to you. 100%. And especially like as a CEO, right? Like you need to breathe that culture, otherwise... Yeah you would just crush that business and everyone would leave and like and there are different cultures different businesses right there's not one right culture but there is our culture and that i think is extremely important and that's also when you leave as a founder from the operational role that's where you actually also leave quite a, a hole that needs to be filled right with right. the right person agreed so you then remained as chairman until today you are still the chairman of small pdf how did your role change from the operational role to the chairman role? Like, what do you do now that you didn't do before? And what did you stop doing that you did before? <laughs> right. Well, it also evolved a little bit over time. Right now, we are a much bigger company um, than back then. Uh, back then, it was a bit more, okay, let's talk about product strategy. Let's talk about like a little bit more almost operational things. Today, it's a little bit on a different level where it's much more about finances or about budgeting processes or planning or key hires. Um, I just came from the small PDF office spending a day there. So yeah, discussing a lot of important project strategy, but much more high level because now we have Dennis and uh, the rest of the really amazing team that are doing an incredible job. So I, I, I can't help them anymore when it comes to product decisions, but where I can help is maybe um, yeah, the bigger picture or the bigger strategy where I also have maybe another point of view and another perspective. And was it for you ever an option to say, I completely leave small PDF and don't even remain as a chairman? Or was that never really an option? Because people could also argue like building a new thing that is really you know, so much bigger and you want to tackle the big problems that this can also be a big distraction for you. Sure, but I think we always arranged it in a way that, um, you know, it wouldn't drag me in too much. So if it would have taken several hours, uh, you know, every day or so, then it wouldn't right. have been an option. So I think I had to be quite clear on what's the time invest I can afford, because the priority was always, um, yeah, the new venture. Um, and I had to make that decision, basically. But on that level, I think that for me was never an option to entirely go out of it, because as you say, right, it's like, it's like my baby in the end or our baby together and um, you don't want to abandon that. And it also, I mean, it developed extremely well and it was just so nice to see how, you know, that company from like really a small startup became now a real business and uh, I didn't want to miss it. It's also like the, the story is just incredibly amazing. The, the, <laughs> the perfect Swiss company, I would say, is a startup. <laughs> 
You then fully focused on an operational level on TaxFix, which you co-founded together with Lino in 2016. So first of all, why taxes? Were they such a nightmare for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we a lot of people ask us that, right? And they think like maybe maybe we, we have some tax background or something, yeah. but we definitely don't. And <laughs> we actually really hate taxes and we still hate like doing our tax return. Uh, unfortunately, TaxFix doesn't support complicated cases like us yet. But um, so that's why we actually still have a hard time filing our taxes. Um, yeah, it's just an ugly problem. Um, in Switzerland, it's a little bit easier. In Germany, it's harder. And it's harder not just for people with complicated um, financial situations, but really for everyone. And um, what we realized is that there's just so many people really struggling with the with the topic um, that around like 25% of people are not even filing a tax return. And in Germany, it's different than Switzerland. In Germany, right, when you file, you get money back. Uh, you not you don't pay, at least usually. Um, and um, and what, which means that a lot of people are just not getting that money back and billions of euros remain with the state. And, you know, it's not like the uh, rich and famous that forgot to optimize their taxes, but it's really like the everyday citizen, the taxi driver, the teacher that maybe just feels like, well, taxes, that seems like just a topic that is not for me. You know, it's too complicated. And then they're missing out on a thousand euros on average uh, if they don't file their tax return, which can be a lot of money, right? Um, or is, is a lot of money. And um, basically what we what we wanted to do, and we realized that this problem is there. So we had this problem. A lot of other people had this problem. Big problem equals big market, you know, and big opportunity. And that's why we basically went after this and we really felt like we can change there something, um, you know, and actually really build a product that is 10x better than what else is out there. And that for us was just that conviction that we can do this. Yeah, the massive problem that you were looking for, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and you started in Germany. Was Switzerland just too small of a market or a too easy market to tackle because of the different tax system that we have or why Germany? Yeah, I think to many extents. I mean, Germany is certainly the bigger market. Um, Switzerland has also its problems. Um, but I think to get to a certain scale, Germany um, yeah, is, a, is probably a better target. Yeah. And can you explain your business model and also the pricing behind it, how you make money basically as tax fix? Sure, exactly. So we basically are a digital tax accountant on your phone. So we basically help people to file their income taxes in a very simple way where we basically ask simple questions. So we almost simulate the conversation you would usually have with a tax accountant. So we ask you, are you married? Do you have children? How many? How old are they? And then we figure out if this is all tax relevant and what we need to put in the actual tax return, right? This is all automated and it just is kind of a simulated question, but a very different experience than filling out these forms. In Germany, it's up to 800 form fields that you need to fill out. And most of the even form names you don't understand. And uh, it, it's really, really complicated. So we just basically wanted to build a very different approach um, on a mobile phone. And how it works is basically uh, that you're going through around 70 questions on average. That's out of 3,000 questions we can ask, but right. it's very personalized. So only questions that really matter to that person that is using it. Mm -hmm. And then um, we basically tell the people how much money they get back. And only if they get money back, we are charging 35 euros flat to basically submit the tax return um, to, the, to the financial authorities. So again, it's thousand euros on average over like a majority of our customers have never been able to file a tax return. So they file it for the first time. They see a thousand euros like, wow, that's fair. And then they also like are happy to pay for the submission to the government. And that's actually from my perspective, that sounds like quite a cheap pricing. Why didn't you make that in relation to the amount that people can get back? <laughs> Good question. We get that a lot from investors. That's true for a lot of people, especially for the ones that file for the first time. However, there is also other options to file your tax return. Mm -hmm. And Switzerland is maybe a bit different there uh, than in than Germany, right? Like uh, I think Germans are a little bit more price sensitive. And there are customers that say, well, if it's too expensive, then I'd rather use the government tool, even if it takes me four hours more, you know? Right. And that's fair, but we also want to serve at least part of that customer group. Yeah, and then you really need uh, a lot of people filing taxes through you to build a, a good business, right? That's true. That's true. Today's episode is brought to you by Relay. Relay is a Bitcoin-only investment app from Switzerland available on Android and iOS that gives everyone an easy and secure way to invest in Bitcoin with minimal barriers to entry. 
no deposit, KYC verification or registration is required. After you download the app, just choose the amount of euros or Swiss francs you want to invest and make the payment using a bank transfer. That's it. You can start with as little as 10 euros or Swiss franc and pay 0% transaction fees until the end of 2021. Alternatively, you can automate this process by starting a weekly or monthly savings plan and buy Bitcoin at regular intervals. To learn more, head over to relay.ch slash ambassadors slash Swisspreneur and buy Bitcoin with Relay, Europe's easiest Bitcoin investment app. So how do you acquire the, the users to then actually use your application? Yeah, that wasn't easy. I mean, look, we started the company with the idea that we actually wanted to finance it ourselves. We put all our savings into the business, uh, like literally everything I had, I think I had 3,000 euros back uh, on, on my, my bank account uh, left. And then, um, and then we put everything in there and we realized like, well, you know, this is going to be hard. It's a very, very difficult problem to solve. The technology to do this uh, is actually takes a lot of time to develop. And then we had the first time conversations with investors, um, which went terribly, actually, in the beginning. So a lot of people said no to us. Uh, we had 30, 40 investors in the beginning saying, well, no one will ever file their tax return on a mobile phone, you know. And uh, well, yeah, we were like not so sure anymore after 30 conversations like that. But then in the end, we got uh, really fantastic investors with Crandom and Red Alpine that really believed in it. And they got us 2 million euros. The challenge was, though, then we wanted to launch right afterwards, but we realized we're still actually not done and it takes a lot more time. So in the end, we were delaying, delaying the launch which wasn't really great because that's not what we had imagined. That's also not what we had, you know, told our investors. Um, and uh, yeah, in the end, it was like five months late. But finally, finally, we actually released it and, you know, we we're out there and we pressed the button. It was live in the App Store, but no customers. So <laughs> the classic, <laughs> the classic. Yeah, you think you build it, then they come, right? <laughs> but they don't. So, um, yeah, like that, that was definitely the case for us. So we had like, I think one tax submission uh, a week and then maybe the next week, a few more and so on. But that was very far away from our business plan. I mean, you think about 35 euros revenue, yeah, of course. that's not much revenue. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we realized like that was, that was hard. It was a lot of things figuring out, you know, like looking at the product, looking at the churn in each step of the funnel and really optimizing that again and again. So we were very, very data driven and how we did that. We looked at a lot of marketing channels, understanding like what works, what doesn't. A lot of things didn't work at all in the beginning. We also had to build some trust and some like, you know, critical base of like early adopters that said like, look, this is great. And I give them five stars in the app store and I'm telling all my friends about it. Yep. And that that all of a sudden, like a lot of these things came together. But in the first year, I think we filed as many tax returns as we do now per hour. So <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> to give you an idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah, that was that was early days, really tough. Um, but then all of a sudden it started taking off and um, we we had to really like work yeah, six, seven months really, really closely with the product, with the data and, and figuring stuff out. And then and then it kind of worked, worked more and more. We could scale the marketing channels and uh, then we could raise our series A of uh, 10 million euros uh, quite close after that. And you mentioned before you got the investors on board, you had the 30 talks where people said, nobody's going to fund that, that's not going to work. What kept you going in that moment? Because then you could also say, maybe they're right. I just pivot, do something else that's never going to work. What kept you going that tough moment? Totally. Um, well, I think we had this vision of like, you know, how we want to file a tax return and how maybe probably other people want to file a tax return. Yeah. And even if they couldn't see it, I think we saw it very clearly in front of us, like that this needs to happen on a mobile phone. And we just saw, you know, mobile banking was just a very new thing back then. Um, but there, like investors also had say, said the same thing like two years ago was like, well, no one is ever going to use online banking on a mobile phone, right? But that changed dramatically after uh, some of the first new banks popped out. And I think we had the same conviction around tax filing, and that's really kept us going. And I also think, again, here, it's solving your own problem that can really carry you through the difficult and the tough times. Exactly. I think having a conviction that like this will solve the problem, and uh, I understand the problem deeply, that that is enables so much. And also, I just want to use that myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and one clear difference to small PDF that you actually built without any external money is here you took money quite early on. Why was that the right decision? Why do you decide to change your strategy, basically? 
Right. Yeah, I mean, like I think, you know, there are different cases, right? For different cases, there's also different financing and some things you can finance yourself and some things uh, you could maybe finance yourself, but you also, I don't know, you have maybe the potential as a business case also that is interesting for investors in the first place, which often people forget, right? Like if you're building a small business, don't take any investors in because it's never going to be interesting. Don't even try, right? But if you're building a mega, mega business, have enormous market and can really do that, then it becomes an option. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it's the question like when to take that money and and um, and so on. But we also realize like it's going to be extremely hard. Uh, and yes, we maybe could have financed it a bit more, maybe a year more. But we also would have you know kept it as a very small team, and we only had like seven eight people in the beginning. Um, so we could have done it with that team, or we said like look, we could get there a lot faster. And I think speed really matters, especially in these big opportunities. You know, because otherwise maybe if we did it. In, an own, in our own way, and then there would have been another company that was well-funded, they might have crushed us. Yep. So. Especially in Germany, right, where you have quite more funding available to really own the market in a fast way, basically. Exactly. And I also think that the business model is just different, right? Here you had a really German-focused business, and you probably also had less early adopters than you had a small PDF, which also was a global business. So that's also clearly a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But also the cost side, right? It's just uh, yeah. if you have if you need two, three people to develop a product and you can run it like that, yeah. that's great, right? And that's great about software. But, and also TextFix is software, but it's a different kind of software and it's a lot harder to build and it does take more resources to even get there in the first place. And that means initial investment is quite high, right? To even just get it out of the door. And that I think really yeah, makes it attractive for a VC case. I also wonder with your success that you already built with small PDF, didn't the 30 investors that said no to you first, like didn't that change something in their observation? Because you had a track record, you built a successful company before. Sometimes that's, or usually that's something that, that investors just love, right? Right. It definitely helped, you know, to open some doors and that actually people would at least listen to us in the first place. But look, I, I don't even want to blame any of the investors. I, we probably did also extremely poor job at pitching this uh, because we were had no idea what we were doing, right? Like, I think, I mean, I didn't know one investor in the world. And then, I don't know, 10 days later, um, I asked a friend about it and he made an intro to like one of the big VC funds. And I had to like build a pitch deck overnight <laughs> and like somehow build this together and, and learn how to pitch. And I think we did, yeah, maybe also not that uh, well uh, in that beginning. But uh, you, look, it's, sometimes it's really hard to see, right? Like the VCs get a lot of really interesting cases and they need to make tough decisions. And um, yeah, sometimes you see something that then works. But I think for us, it's very important to find investors that also not just want to give us some money, but also like really believe in that vision that we have. And uh, we found that eventually, but it took a little bit of time. So you had a steep learning curve there, so yeah, to say. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And steep learning curve is usually also what happens when a company grows steeply. You have now more than 350 employees. And in that regard, also your role as a CEO and founder changes, right? From the small team that is just getting starting out to the 350 employee CEO. Was that ever a challenge for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's the craziest challenge. <laughs> it's like, you know, MBA on steroids uh, yeah. in the craziest, shortest amount of time. You just have to learn it all. And you don't really have a choice um, because no one else will do it for you, right? Yeah. And uh, I think you owe it to yourself, to the employees, to everyone to just do a good job, right? And you want to do a good job and that just motivates like crazy. And uh, it puts you like, or it, for me at least, it was an incredible learning process. We actually had a, um, I mean, we realized basically every three months, our roles would entirely change, like entirely different job description. And what we started doing is, really writing down what is actually our current job description and what will it be in six months because it's an entirely different one and then we also looked at like okay what skills do i need to you know do well in this new job and how can i acquire those skills really really fast because i need to get them need to be really really good at it in six months from now because that's my new job in six months so it's basically like you know change jobs all the time uh over over the years where you grow that when you grow that quick that sounds incredibly stressful Yes. <laughs> How do you manage that on a personal level? But also extremely motivating, you know, mm -hmm. because I think that was always the drive. Like, 
um, that we took out of it, just like that incredible learning curve. And uh, yeah, I think other people, you know, go through a career like that from like, you know, leading 10 people to 350 uh, that takes 10 years. And we basically had to do it in two, you know, so right, or 20 years or more, right? Like sure. usually you have a lot more time and then you can acquire those skills um, slowly. But for us, just I think it, it's stressful, but I think it was also the one thing that kept me going the most, you know. Um, because it really is so enriching. So it's really both sides, if if you can say it that way, right? It yeah. pushes you, but it's also really, really stressful. Yeah, exactly. But really, not, I would really say that this is maybe not stressful in this negative sense of like, you know, I really feel bad about it every day. Mm -hmm. It actually makes you feel good about the job every day right. because that is like, wow. Like I look back one week, I had no idea on how to do this. Now I actually know pretty well how to do this. And, you know, I could have taken years to learn it and I had to learn it in a week. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And yet you decided to step down as CEO from TaxFix earlier this year in 2021. What led you to that conclusion? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think we're always extremely reflected in terms of what is the job? What, are, what do we need to do? What do we need to do like right for the company? The thing is, when you change job all the time, right, you realize that maybe part of that job is extremely exciting because it's new, but it's also maybe very different from what you're extremely passionate about and mm -hmm. uh, what really gives you energy. And then I think I came to a point, uh, yeah, like, you know, just by that really incredible growth that you realize that I realized that, I mean, there's so much, there's so much cool stuff happening and the company is amazing and I love all the people there. But at the same time, what I do every day has changed so much from what I was initially so passionate about that um, I realized like, well, maybe actually someone else would be even more passionate about these pieces than, than I am. Mm -hmm. And because, yeah, having done it maybe at small PDF very well, inspired me a little bit to just start thinking about it then start talking to, you know, my co-founder a lot about it, uh, Lino, uh, who will stay on um, and has a little bit of different uh, approach to it because he actually thinks this new this next stage is going to be extremely exciting for him and his mm -hmm. own uh, future growth um but but for me it was like well you know maybe there's maybe someone else and i could be you know still part be part of the ride but in a different role that is a little bit less operational i mean the highest respect for making that decision to really leave when the company's doing so well and to also be able to let go i think mm -hmm. that's really difficult it sounds easy the way that you just describe it but <laughs> I can imagine that's so difficult to do on yeah. an operational level. It is, but yeah, I think that was that always made us very special. I think that you know we were extremely reflected in that and very low ego. So for me, it's not about me or anyone. I think it's the company first, and if someone else can you know do a great job at like getting their company to that next level, then I'm extremely happy because it's about the company and not myself. Yeah. And I think, yeah, letting go, as you, as we talked a little bit before, right, like kind of letting go of that child, that own organism, that actually is the highest pride, right? That's basically the highest goal when it lives without you because you build right. it up to that point um, that it can exist without you or without you at least being there every day, every hour. And uh, that that's super exciting. So again, bittersweet. And here you actually break with a myth that many startup founders have that the company will die if I stop working or if I leave the company. So only founders are actually able to run a company, to run a startup. So you actually prove that this is not true. <laughs> yeah, that might be might be right. I mean, over 70% of like right, companies that IPO are not uh, with the original founder anymore in the lead as CEO. Uh, it's actually much more common than we think. But um, at the same time, like it depends on the company, right? Like there are businesses when, when you are a single person business, yeah, of course you have no, you have no choice. Uh, you either shut it down <laughs> or you keep going. And, uh, but at a certain, certain level and a certain scale, it, it, yeah, it, it can absolutely work. And I think because, you know, I think it's extremely important to be reflective on in, in the end, the company will only grow as much as the, the founders can grow, right? Like into that new role and whatever is needed. And there's not, not just growing in a sense of positive, but growing into that role that is required and being that CEO and leader or, or whatever, whatever else um, you role you have in the company, but you need to be the best version of that. And if you think there might be actually be someone else that might be better at that specific role, right? Uh, 
then you basically owe it to yourself as a shareholder, to the company, to the employees to really just think about like, you, can you get there? Do you want to get there? Is this what you're looking for? And are you the right person for the job, right? And I think because that is definitely not the case that the founder is the only person that can do this job. There are other people that are really, really great. Uh, and I learn this every day when I, when I hire people that are way smarter than me. And that's the biggest, you know, the biggest success I can have when I hire these people that I can do a much better job than I ever could. Yeah, a wonderful example of the no ego value, basically. No ego, no politics, so to speak. <laughs> right, that's true. And in that regard, I also wonder, when you actually then decided to let go, what sort of key roles or organizational structures did you need to have in place to be able to manage that transition successfully? Is there any point where you say, okay, these are like the homeworks that we needed to get done first, and then the time is right to actually leave? Right. I mean, for me, it was important to um, to step down as a CEO in a, in a time where the company is doing really well, because I wanted to make sure that we can hire great people at that time that are also find like, wow, that's a really attractive opportunity, right? Yeah. People forget that sometimes. People, these amazing, talented people, they're not looking for any job. They have hundreds of options, right? So why would they go for you? So you better make a good case that it's actually like, wow, you know, this could be a great job for me. Now, I think, I mean, we build up a lot of things, I think, in institutionalized a lot of like the cultural aspects of the company, how, you know, culture is implemented deeply ingrained in processes, in hiring and everything. I think that was one thing that was very important to me, that the values are extremely present uh, mm -hmm. everywhere and that, that that's not something that depends on the founder being there and saying things, but like it's actually way, you know, deeper ingrained in the entire organization. Then I think secondly, certainly the management team to, um, you know, have a very, very strong CP, uh, uh, C-level and VP level um, that that uh, does an amazing job at managing the operations of the business, the day-to-day, -day, right? Yeah. So that you have those people in place that nothing falls apart if one piece is removed. That I think is an important foundation. Yeah, and then I think like, you know, having enough funding, having investor support, having everyone on board because... It doesn't work like that to just say like, well, you know, now tomorrow I'm going to go. <laughs> it's 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 going to take a lot of time. And I actually I actually thought it's going to take maybe years, you know, to actually find that right person. Uh, we were very lucky that it actually only took six months or so. But um, yeah, it could have gone the other way as well. Or you probably build a, an attractive enough case to attract the right talent. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yes. <laughs> You also mentioned before that, you know, there were some roles or tasks that you were more passionate about at the beginning, and then that also changes, of course. So what are the things that you're really passionate about deeply, you know, on the personal level? And what are things that then come up as you grow the company where you might find other people that are more passionate about those tasks and skills needed? Right. Good question. Yeah, I think, I mean... You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a founder, I'm a, I, I want to create things, I want to solve problems, right? I'm passionate about problems, looking at them, understanding them and solving them. Um, and of course, in the beginning, that's the job, right? That's all there is. You just need to solve the problems that you have. And then you have different kind of problems. You have technical problems, you have customer problems, marketing problems, and so on. And so on. Um, at some point, these things become a little bit less about the customer, a little bit less about the product and the marketing, but much more about your team, right? Like you want to help your team to be successful and they are actually solving the problems. And you realize like, well, you know, it's all about enabling them and not really actually telling your team what to do because your team is actually way smarter than you and they know best, right? Uh, so you get quickly to that point. So it's much more than about enabling them and like really supporting them in what they do because that's the work that they do. And um, I think that's a really fantastic journey. But what it what it uh, what it means um, as a founder is that necessarily you you need to become more of a manager, right? There's a lot of founders that are not good managers, but they don't care and just keep doing their thing, yep. which of course then really holds the company back at some point because in the end, if you have a few hundred people, you can't manage or you can't you can't do that anymore, right? It's not it's not good practice. People will leave. People will say like, oh my God, I don't want to work here. And uh, and that's fair too. But I think the reality is that these things need to happen. And that's probably the pieces that um, I think just other people are even more passionate about it. And even though for me, I really care about the people in the business, but in terms of how I spend my day, it just has changed a lot in, in that regard. And yeah, I, I think I did miss that a little bit. 
So it's really also that that building or being close to actually the, the real execution, what, what you miss. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think really building things out of nothing, yeah. that's probably what, you know, excites me the most. I can fully understand that. <laughs> and I wonder also what influence did your personal life have on your decision? Because you will become a father soon, I heard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Actually, we learned about that after we hired our CEO. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but still, like now, this is actually a very nice, um, lucky coincidence. Um, I mean, personal life, right? You don't have much of that uh, as a founder. It's not necessarily something um, that was, you know, very important to me to like have a lot more free time. But uh, it's not really about free time, but it's really about like because I'm most passionate about building things. Right. So that's yeah. that's in the end what I want to do with my time. But I think it is uh, now after 10 years being CEO of a startup, I think it would be nice to have maybe a few vacations breaks and just a little bit of a breathing time and now like yeah basically starting a family with my wife uh, has been yeah a really lucky coincidence that we can do this right now when i have a little bit more time for absolutely and if you look at the numbers the impressive numbers you're active in three countries today you help to reclaim more than 900 million euros so far from taxes and we already heard you also employ more than 350 people so we wonder now if the next step, what will be next for you? What will you do if your new time that you have available? What will you build, basically? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> but uh, for me, it's very clear that I, I don't want to make any decisions for now that, you know, what is going to be next. Um, there's going to be something, if it's a company or not, or something else that could be could be many things. But I'm certainly not done in, like, building things. So... We'll see. I'm curious myself. <laughs> we'll find out and maybe speak again. I hope so. So. <laughs> so we are also curious to see what you're building next then. <laughs> and also for TaxFix, basically what will be next for the company? I mean, IPO is probably the, the way that we see forward for you from the external. Could be, uh, could be just one stepping stone, right? Also, IPO is not the end, but um, like we don't know yet, and certainly not not right away. Um, I think we have still a lot of work to do, uh, a lot of really exciting things, international expansion, a lot of new services. We want to actually, as you say, we have help our customers already to get so much money back, right? Like almost nine hundred, like over over nine hundred million euros um in tax refunds that they otherwise wouldn't have received right because they didn't do a tax return before so it's incredible but we also see a lot of more opportunities where people just like are spending money in finances uh, mm -hmm. in their financials where we could help them to optimize that as well and just optimizing taxes but really optimizing all bigger financial decisions because well you know we also have a lot of data points there and with like the permission of our customers we could actually say well you know what what about like we look at maybe the data points that are in there to enable them to make smarter financial decisions in their investments, in their insurances, and so on and so on. Where can I sign up for this? <laughs> I would be Not definitely the user. <laughs> Not yet, but uh, definitely working on it. I mean, it's also cool, you know, if you help them to get money back, they also, they can do something with that money. They could invest exactly. it, for example. So that's exactly. also a very interesting field to, to look into, certainly. Exactly, yeah. So another interesting field are your resources and gadgets. So we wonder what resources and gadgets can you recommend to our listeners? Oh, resources and gadgets. Uh, it can be anything from books to blogs, podcasts, or also little gadgets that make your daily life easier. So what I what I started to explore is um, VR boxing. Um, and there is this uh, uh, FitX, I think it's called, okay. um, the app. And it's, it's really, really good. Uh, so you're just 20 minutes basically boxing into the air. It looks ridiculous from the outside, <laughs> but uh, like it's actually a lot of fun and you're totally broken afterwards, yeah. or at least me, uh, because it's extremely exhausting. And after 20 minutes, like one of the best workouts, um, there is, um, yeah, what else is there? Uh, yeah, there's the, the new Netflix book uh, about uh, breaking the rules. Yeah. Uh, really fantastic, fantastic read, I'd say. Um, yeah, I think these are the most important things that just come to mind. I think that's a good, usually the, the first thoughts are the, the best ones. <laughs> that's a good yes, point. Yes, yes, go for So for the very last part, we have some rapid fire questions for you. I give you a selection of two or three options and you have to explain your choice in okay. one sentence. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Hong Kong, China or Korea? Oh, um, Korea, I think, uh, was definitely the country I spent most time in. 
and uh, fantastic people, fantastic food and great uh, startup um, um, industry there. Bootstrapping or VC money? I think, I mean, it, it depends, right? It depends so much. Uh, I think the next company will probably bootstrap because I can afford it, um, but uh, only to a certain point. And I think then VC again becomes an option. But I would say bootstrap first as long as possible. Nice. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Last night, it's actually not too bad. Seven hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. CEO or chairman? <laughs> well, apparently chairman for now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely CEO maybe at some point again. Probably if you had to choose a title, it would probably be founder just to build things from scratch, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm most passionate about. Where do you go to think except the Trans-Siberian Railways? Thinking, I love walking. Um, I don't know, it feels like my brain is working on um, two times, uh, you know, the capacity and just walking outside um, really helps. So I, I literally block time in my calendar to do half an hour walk or so. And I think nice. I get more work done in that time than uh, like a lot of the lot of the rest of the day cool. and make a lot of really important decisions. I like that. Profitability or growth? Growth. I think for a startup in the beginning, it's growth. And the last one for you, Berlin or Zurich? <laughs> yeah, well, Berlin for work, Zurich for leisure, I'd say. Uh, we're actually moving to Zurich quite soon again after being 15 years uh, in different countries. So I'm also being curious, um, but I'm going to spend a bit more time in Zurich. But Berlin will always be a really important point and uh, we'll spend a lot of time there. Basically, the, the best combination of both. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to achieve. <laughs> Matis, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for spending the time here and all the best with whatever will come next for you. Awesome. Thank you, Sylvan. It was great. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.